Welcome back to the Twin Geeks. This is Calvin. I'm here with our friend Matt from Don't Let the Modern Cast Get You. And uh, uh, within our um, family of uh, friends here, you're like a one of the better watch people. Like you've watched like maybe the most cult cinema out of all of us, the most low budget and uh, hard to find things. Uh, I suppose that's possible. But yeah, thanks for having me on, Calvin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the reason I'm having you on, you went to this... Uh, film festival that uh, really piqued my interest uh, uh, because it sounds pretty unique kind of outside you know uh, most people uh, outside most people's like purview what they could access and what their theaters are showing I know especially in America mostly we're stuck with chains and um, it's a special opportunity it is definitely very unique it is uh, it is in fact the only film festival of its kind in the world and this is the nitrate picture show held in rochester new york at the george eastman house which is a wonderful museum and theater that does uh, tons of great screenings that i am going to all the time could you explain like what that would be like uh, for our listeners what would the nitrate picture show imply uh... yeah so uh, up until around 1950, film was produced and printed on nitrate film stock, which is very flammable. I'm sure many people have seen Inglorious mm-hmm. Bastards, where they light the theater on fire and Hitler, you know, burns up in flames, gets shot and everything. Yeah, that's because of nitrate film and how dangerous it is. And so there are not very many places that can still play these old prints. There are only, I think, like four or five in the United States. All of them are on oh, the West wow. Coast, except the one out here. Okay. Uh, there are a few more places around the world that can play it. Like I, I know, I, I think it's like there's somewhere in the UK. I'm sure there's somewhere in France. It's uh, not unique in the world, but unique outside of California in the US. <laughs> and it is the only yeah. uh, place that holds a festival to show these nitrate prints. In the Wild that there's two states in the country, this massive country, where you could watch films like this. Um, and my affection, I guess, one of my favorite movies, Cinema Paradiso, also about uh, ignitable film and uh, yes, yeah, yes, they're going ablaze, and and how our memories are like caught on this medium of film where it, it feels so different, and what those uh, memories kind of bring out for us, and what that experience is like in projecting those films. Um, and, and I think, like, just experimentally, I think it's so much more interesting to think of film as like a a physical medium that we're producing, and when it is, when it's not digital. I think that's uh, such a good opportunity to get to see it in a new way. Yeah, and there, uh, there is some controversy among uh, film archivists about this restaurant, uh, about this uh, festival, because you know every time you screen a print, it degrades in quality somewhat, right. and yeah. so uh, they uh, said we're. Uh, I don't remember the metaphor somebody used, but uh, we're like rich people just eating away at finite sources. But like these prints were meant to be seen. Right. They will degrade yeah. eventually on their own. We should uh, see them while we can. And if you're going to screen them, make it for a public audience, I believe. I mean, I'm, yeah, make it for yeah. an exhibition that people can attend and uh, make I mean, it I count. I gotta tell you, there were so many people out here. Like I, I go to this theater all the time, but like for the festival there are many many people from far out of town and the theater was totally packed i've never seen this place like it at all so what was what was that like what was the total experience were they showing for it was just like a weekend right uh yeah it was four days of movies uh they showed uh 16 films including four for five shorts uh and i I guess i can go through the run the 
program right now. The oh yeah, with... I should pull mine up too, which is just a copy of yours. Sure, sure. Um... Yeah. Uh, Open with Black Narcissus uh, by Powell and Pressburger. So this, uh, in fact, before this festival, I had seen one movie on Nitrate before, and that was Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes a couple of years ago. They did it okay. for a New Year's Eve screening. And uh, my second one was also by Pell and Pesper and Black Narcissus, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get into a bit more later. But for the rest of the program, the next morning was a program of shorts, including A Night of Storytelling by Robert Flaherty, made in Ireland. This was uh, an interesting one in that it was actually presumed lost until 10 years ago when somebody dug it oh, out wow. of the Harvard Film Archive, found that it still exists. So in that case, there might just be this one copy that that's a nitrate, right? Yeah, or yeah. maybe for all of these, uh, would you say there's not more than a few copies of any of these that you're listing? Uh, certainly not more than a few that are projectable. Like there, right. there might be prints that like are good enough to scan to get like a digital restoration or something. But the act of like threading it through the projector for like a real audience that's uh, that's a more intense process, and not all <laughs> prints might be uh, still up for that. Yeah, what an opportunity! Uh, you could go on with your uh, list here. Yeah. Uh, um, next up is Hen Hop by Norman McLaren, then Escape by Mary Mary Ellen Butte and Ted Nemeth, uh, to Disney Shorts in Flowers and Trees and the Band Concert. And then we're on to more features with Joseph von Sternberg's The Blue Angel, Renee Claire's Silence is Golden, Abraham Polanski's Force of Evil, King Vidor's, or should I say David O. Selznick's Duel in the Sun, <laughs> Uh, Fritz Long's You and Me, Max O'Fole's Liebelei. Uh I don't know if this one has a director. Oh, the the Westinghouse Companies, uh, <laughs> the Middleton family at the New York World's Fair. Hell yeah, it has a corporate director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Victor Funding's The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Pavel Petrov Bitov, uh, Soviet filmmakers Kane and Artem. And then the mystery screening at the end was Carol Reed's The Third Man. What a fantastic surprise just to get that. So you got to watch that on Nitrate too. That that would be worth yes, yes, yeah. showing up for me. Mm-hmm. Like, the way they were talking uh, about it, I knew it had to be a major one. And I was thinking through the options. like Because last year, the mystery one was Pinocchio, I think. So I was thinking maybe it's Snow White this time or some <laughs> Disney one. Maybe it's Casablanca. Maybe it's Kane. But... Right. Uh, I mean, Third Man, as good as any of those options, I believe, Uh, um, important, essential cinema that we've covered. I think like in like four capacities, I feel like we covered the Third Man on this very podcast. It just kept circling between David and I, and we just kept doing it and getting back to it. There's so many branches for us. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Um, You're the third man to bring it up on this show. Um, (laughs) There's uh, really... I thought I brought you on here to talk about Black Narcissus, but uh, uh, truly, I think uh, the Middleton family was really what moved us and uh, the most and really brought us together and is the you know impetus for this podcast. Yeah, the yeah, I do like to talk about the Middleton family. I, I think you sound it's uncertain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a it's produced by the Westinghouse Company, as said before. It is blatant advertisement for their products, and you no, know, they're building at the World's Fair that year uh it's very and it's very pro-capitalist taking jabs at uh roosevelt and uh <laughs> any economic on it any economic policies that actually help people right. it's got a communist art professor boyfriend who's quickly told the, off yeah the capitalist rival uh it's got a talking robot 
Nice. Yeah, a talking robot that smokes and it has like uh <laughs> like what did it say, 28 relays in its brain? That's some crazy, yeah. crazy machinery there. More than I have right now, that's for sure. <laughs> uh there's a, a thing about it where I really love world fair movies. I love when um Kurt Russell gets to kick like Elvis in the shins at the base of the space needle. I love when uh um Robert Altman and Quintet gets to go do like some like bullshit sci-fi with like a fisheye lens of like the Montreal World Fair. I love a, uh, I love like this like ingenuity and like the science coming together in practical urban spaces. Uh, is that one Godzilla or a, uh, uh, Gamera where they're at the World Fair? I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, such a major fan of this kind of a uh, setting. It's so rare because they you know only happen every few years, and they don't happen in the same capacity. They have like world expos now every four years which are a little different i believe um but they're not building like space needles now you know um, we're talking robots like there's that symbol i see every day that like i experienced it even in a new world in a new way today like i went to a different part of the water and saw perspective of the space needle i've never seen like that like looms over my life in a way that um i feel curious about the world's fair i i read that book uh about the chicago world fair jack the ripper and uh, all the things that were invented like cracker jacks and uh different kinds of paint like how we paint houses were invented at the chicago world fair so i i guess i have like a, a lasting interest that uh this is uh one of the stages of this new york world fair was uh this movie that they like designed to put in between the inventions you see walking through the movie uh so that's clever meta too yeah, well, I mean, this wasn't just meant to be screened at the World's Fair. The mm. Westinghouse Company really wanted everybody to see this movie. It was actually <laughs> yes. very widely distributed. As That's I funny. Yeah. <laughs> really? I, I thought it was just going, I thought it was like a thing and that it was going to be distributed locally. And then, um, but that, I mean, that might have something uh, to do with why it's They at least wanted a wide distribution. I don't know how successful they were in getting people to see it, but the, the they were like to uh, have lots of eyes on this they were definitely like in 2023 we need to play it at the the nitrate film festival bring it <laughs> back <laughs> they designed that all the way back in the 30s there um, yeah. and uh, of course as implied by uh kelvin having seen this this is available online i believe it's on the library of congress's website and maybe right. other places i should say uh, that yeah most of this is available like in of course non-nitrate just digital you can watch on your computer or, or your tv uh so i tried to catch up with you know uh some of the holes i had in your watches uh not everything but uh, i feel like good enough sure. to kind of contribute to a discussion because i saw hen hop as well i'm yeah, covering yeah. the important things first uh hop, it's like yeah. a pyramid of interest you go from like the most important down to like the broad stuff down at the bottom right um, yeah so hen hop's a very short film like three minutes or something by norman mclaren it's meant to sell canadian war bonds uh actually <laughs> yes. yeah so did the version you watch online have that at the end the buy canadian war bonds thing i don't think it did i don't okay know yeah because uh so this uh that's how the film got funding and then years later i think uh mclaren like he didn't want any more prints with the like buy canadian war bonds at the end so he like cut it off and redistributed it without it yeah but, i don't uh, think it was they managed money. to get their hands on an old nitrate print from a private collector and that still has that that's <laughs> pretty cool yeah i read that he had like hung out a few days in a chicken coop and he uh said he was imbued with the spirit of henliness which i yeah. thought was the funniest <laughs> quote uh to say about your experience in a chicken coop that you were just imbued with henliness and so uh 
what he did was he, after being imbued with the spirit of henliness, he made a film about hens being decapitated, which I think is a very funny move for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, how he made this film is drawing directly on the film. It's, uh, oh, it's that's cool. an- animated yeah. and just like stick figure or like line outlines of chicken that goes through some strange transformations. I mean, I feel like your print must be pretty close to like the original thing that was like, you know, the original like physical copy. I don't know that there's that many of like Hen Hop, right? Yeah, probably. Because let's see what year it came out. It came out in 1942. And I mean, if this is on nitrate, that means the print was struck before 1950, right? So it can't have been too long after. Right. So uh, I think you're getting also closer to seeing uh, media that was like presented or preserved in that time. Yeah, it's also getting made. yeah, it's also getting closer to how the films were meant to be seen. Because like, if you were making a film in that era, you knew it would be projected on nitrate film, not safety stock or acetate film that would come later, right? <laughs> so th- there, there is a difference in uh, just how these movies look. And I, I was even skeptical of myself, like whether yeah, I'm I do I really even appreciate the difference, or am I just flexing that I can see these movies? But uh, at the end of the Third Man, so. <laughs> Yeah, the, they have the the print they had. The last reel was in pretty bad shape. It was like kind of moldy, mm. uh, had some holes, perforations, whatever. I don't know. It didn't. It wasn't in great shape. Yeah, but they had a pristine uh, copy of that reel uh, on safety stock. So they were debating which reel to show the end of that movie with because it's that iconic final shot of uh, Joseph Cotton waiting as she walks past him, right? It's and, yeah, one of the greatest shots in movies. Uh-huh. And they ended up, they decided, okay, we're going to end the movie with the nitrate and then we're going to show the acetate and you'll see why we stuck with the nitrate and like the, the difference really is astounding. The, Wait, so the, does that mean they showed both? Like, yeah, they, they showed that, both they right after. Midway. Okay, they, so they, they showed both, both and then, uh, or the, they did the whole movie in nitrate, and then they showed like part of the last reel in safety stock just to cool. so everybody would have yeah. that side by side. And the, the difference really, it's there. I, I can attest to that. <laughs> the what's the, color what's depth the is difference so much. for you? Okay, it's the color depth. Color, yeah. The, the difference between the blacks and whites, the images just look so much flatter on acetate. And I'm, I'm not, that might not just be an inherent quality of that later film but you know the third man was made to be on nitrate and maybe certain cinematography uh, choices were made yeah. that way certain direction choices I, I i really don't know the kind of technical details there but besides yeah. it feels like material materially like a history lesson and like a of like a place in time where like rubble and uh kind of degraded materials are part of third man's world in a way yeah. they're not so specifically about older movies oftentimes it's not like a soundstage you're really like crawling over the rubble of post-war like fallout like uh like you see it in the buildings all around and the history is really on the street so like a physical layer of the film itself i think is really meaningful in third man also yeah yeah, for sure um uh, there are some i haven't seen um uh, seen wizard of oz of course but uh i don't know if anyone needs like the primer on wizard of oz how'd it look what did you get to it uh, well, there is something interesting about that. So okay. uh, they, they were talking about how The Wizard of Oz has been seen over the years because for a long time, everybody saw it broadcasted on TV in black and white. So they never saw the transition to color. And mm-hmm. then once color was widely available, whether you know, on, on home video and TV or whatever, the evolution of the 
color representation is strayed farther and farther into more extreme colors, like more closer to neon, like actually right. like yeah. beyond the original intent. Cause uh, interesting. I think of it as a very neon movie. No, it, it is still very colorful, okay. but the, the current digital versions of it had just pushed it farther than it was uh, originally printed and meant to be seen. Mm. In fact, a lot of like late thirties, uh, technicolor films are not as vibrant as uh, you would think of like the stereotypical technicolor image like I, I don't know when mm -hmm. I think technicolor I think like the seed in vertigo when he's out by all those flowers and everything's just so colorful there right yeah it's not quite like that it's a bit more muted a bit uh it's kind of golden glowing but like the, the colors are still there I, I can't like the colors aren't like it's a very colorful film. It's just not quite as extreme as maybe some of the more recent digital. I mean, for versions. it to be golden, especially feels like another choice that could be material yeah. in this movie. Uh, and, such uh, an important I mean, color. You, you saw the Middleton uh, family. Like, yeah, if you remember how that film looked, it looked probably a bit browner and golder than the yeah. normal idea of Technicolor. That's sort of what it was going on with the Wizard of Oz there. Um, I think I'd most want to see Duel in the Sun projected with an audience. It's so vivid in another kind of way. Um, and so overwrought in a way I love Westerns to be. I think I wrote that like uh, some Westerns have a, a cannon shot for a pistol sound. And this is like that, but with kissing, like it's so overblown <laughs> when there's yes, romance yes. on screen. It's like triumphant and huge. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I. Uh... It did look very beautiful. Like there's that uh, one shot near the end where um, Gregory Peck's with Lionel Barrymore against that like blazing red sunset. It's like their descent, their, their descent into their hell begins, right? Mm. And it's that that looked great on the screen. But uh, I, I don't like that movie. I have to say, I almost you uh, don't. I no. Uh, the Jennifer Jones in brown face doesn't yeah, come across true. better when you can see all the details that doesn't help uh, no. i'm so worn on on westerns that i've uh, maybe become an easy mark for some very troubling concepts uh that's terrible but yeah you're right um dual in the sun otherwise yeah like you say almost like a producer's film but there's the the king vidor yeah because he he quit uh at some point he got so fed up with david O'Sell's bullshit like uh, i don't remember who else was on it i think it was joseph von sternberg and mm -hmm. Uh, others too like i think five or six like uh somewhat well-known directors touched this film <laughs> well you could see the call for a, a good director you could see the movie it could be you're right like without the brown face i think it would be a movie that i'd really recommend getting out there it looks really beautiful even on my laptop it looked great yeah, uh, yeah. i was also even blown away with that scene just seeing it on a small screen so that's the reason I think that would be great with an audience. Uh, and Blue Angel, just classic cinema again, kind of like Third Man. You just want to see it, um, just because it's historic. Yeah, you uh, see Emil Janning's, uh real life career sort of play out in that movie because, of course, he uh, he joins the Nazis and then uh, his career declines, much like uh, the plot of this movie, whereas, you know, Marlena Dietrich goes to America and becomes firmly anti-fascist. Yeah, I, I'd really like to see Dietrich, like, on a big screen one day. Just any Dietrich movie would be really nice to uh, have that um, feeling, because I feel like she's made for, like, the other two. We talked a lot about, like, context for acting, and I think the context and acting in movies was so different back then, because uh, 
they were closer to the stage maybe and they act more as the other actors did uh whereas now we have small screens and i think our movements are more subtle and uh, more close up now and uh we act more with our eyes and small expressions but uh i think like actors like dietrich it would just really pay off for me just have that history and uh have some attachment to it in a physical space yeah, the no, like that was just one of those ones in black and white where I'm just like, do I even really appreciate it? And I didn't even know yeah. until <laughs> the end of the third man. That, yeah, I probably did. <laughs> How'd they but, show the shorts? Like, Were the shorts all together? Yeah, it, it was just like, one program. Rebecca Joke. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, uh, I, I mean, they, they, they took some breaks to like change reels because... Uh, not all the prints were from the local archive. Like some came from MoMA, some came from uh, European archives, some came from LA, right? And so mm -hmm. their their general policy is like, we're not going to splice together things from different places. So like the ones that came from MoMA played and then they would have somebody come up and introduce the next ones while the projectionist changed reels, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's some I don't really know about, like uh, Silence is Golden. Uh, you seem to really like that one, though. Yeah, that was a, a Rene Claire who doesn't seem to be quite as remembered as some of his French contemporaries, but you're one of two people I know that's watched it, and I have a lot of people I'm following. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just a it's a I don't know if there's too much special about it. It's a fairly straightforward uh romantic picture. There's a older guy who's in love with a younger woman who has a, a young rival to him. Uh the what one interesting thing about all these foreign films being projected is because uh they of course don't have subtitles attached to the prints that i think that would be like a some sort of blasphemy to brand them onto nitrate like that but so they had to have like another screen below the main screen that they projected subtitles onto it was very strange i don't know if that's like the standard for how these things are done i su suppose it must be but it's just not something i've uh, encountered before yeah, that's interesting. I'd like to see that in practice. Also, I'd like to see the most popular review on Letterboxd seems to have also come from your screening uh, with where this man says, if you're the man sitting directly <laughs> next to me who started clipping his fingernails during this, that was insane of you. Um, I, I'd i just like to know the person who's... Was it yeah, you, yeah. first of all? No, that, that was not me. Okay. It was not uh, me. At least you're I, I didn't notice anybody clipping their fingernails either, so it wasn't happening in my section of the balcony. But um, yeah, that's, very a, that's a choice that. to make. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's always going to be this film's most popular review. Is this like anecdote about this one guy who sat next <laughs> to someone clipping their fingernails? Film history being made at the Nitrate Picture Show. <laughs> Important documentations. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is nice when something like that comes from a screening you've been at, and then you get to like read an anecdote. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a weird thing that happened that'll be now be preserved from my experience in cinema. Mm -hmm. uh, so congrats to that guy. And if he ever finds this show, he's welcome to write in and explain himself. And yeah, uh, we want to know why you chose that moment to <laughs> clip yes. your fingernails. Absolutely. Where, where, you, where were the nails going? Like, did you I know. bring a bag and just let them drop? And how loud was it? Silence is golden. I mean, you can't. <laughs> I mean, you can't just be like really chopping them. You know, but yeah, do you put it in your like popcorn bag? Is there is there popcorn? No, there, there's no there? popcorn there. There's no snacks or anything. That makes it worse. He's probably just clipping them right on the floor then. <laughs> yeah, probably. I want to do like a whole analysis on this guy, but um, 
uh some others i don't quite know about let's see there's the the lang film that you mentioned there um oh uh, yeah me. that's that's a fun one uh long con- considered that his first failure when he made it and I, I don't love the film or anything but there is a just a such a bizarre scene at the end that has really stuck with me where sylvia sydney is uh like her and her boss have like caught these group of people they're trying to rob them or whatever and she just like sits them down gets a chalkboard writes some math on it and like gives a like 10 minute lesson on one why crime doesn't pay she's like this is how much you're stealing (laughs) this is how much the getaway car costs this is how much you have to pay the fence there are 10 of you you have to split it 10 ways blah 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 (laughs) just a, like she goes through the whole thing like That's normally fun. like you'd expect it to like fade out fade back in there's more math on the white on the chalkboard but no no breaks <laughs> yeah um so that was pretty good projected i that's a that's a, a long uh, you pronounce it correctly more than me um that i haven't seen uh i've made my way through some of them um but uh i mean he's a significant director so you should always see something of his when it comes around um yeah that was the first film of his i've seen projected i'm almost sure oh no one else possibly could have been yeah anything else of uh of note there um, yeah Kane and artem was uh definitely the most obscure one of the bunch you know they had people raise their hands to show who had seen what i think there was one person in the <laughs> packed auditorium who had seen it uh the interesting thing about Kane and Artem's director is that he like wrote a fiery essay in 1928 saying there is no Soviet cinema accusing Eisenstein and company of making films for the bourgeois and then uh, we get we get to this film and it actually like it's it's not the tale of the you know simplified tale of the real citizen like he was advocating for (laughs) like he's closer to the Eisenstein stuff Uh, that's just funny Mm. says he's a infant terrible of the highbrow Leningrad uh, film factory interesting um yeah i would i would like to explore more soviet cinema too um looks like you just thought that one was all right yeah i'm not a huge fan okay the print looks good yeah uh i think that's one of the takeaways you gotta i mean if you're going to see that film maybe see it that way um yeah and i i wouldn't want every movie to be a masterpiece that'd be exhausting you need you need some average ones in between how about a uh, force of evil did you get to that one? Oh yeah that that's a noir i'd seen that one before okay uh that was last movie of that uh night quick one uh john garfield uh is uh he's trying to fix some races he's got his he's trying to convince his brother to get in with him conflict arises uh not one of my favorite noirs but no. <laughs> fine enough we'll see. sure and uh noirs i feel like benefit as we say third man i think really for the medium it's good um and they're designed for this medium i think noirs especially uh okay um black narcissus is really what we're here for i think yes um, yes that is the feature that led the festival and i think probably well chosen uh uh, yeah, it was the only screening announced ahead of time. Uh, okay. They just said, we're opening with Black Narcissus. We'll tell you the rest tomorrow morning. So, like, was tomorrow morning, like, close to the festival? Is that, that like, day of or something? How, yeah. how far ahead mm-hmm. did you get? Okay. Yeah, uh, the, the morning of Black Narcissus was when the whole schedule was announced. That's fun, though. Like, folks yeah. travel there probably from out of state and are, like, uh, 
I'm just seeing whatever they're presenting. I, I believe in this medium and film and uh, yeah, you're, you're not going there for specific films. Exactly. Right. Yet. Yeah. You can't like hunt him out because you're not like, Oh, I've been waiting three years to see the nitrate copy of, um, you know, uh, the Middletons or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been waiting my whole life. <laughs> I've worked at the Westinghouse or my whole family comes from Westinghouse uh, <laughs> heritage. I'm a, a Westinghouse baby and I've just waited to see that print. Yeah, I've heard no, legends probably. about that smoking robot. I just have to see it. <laughs> right. Uh, like Narcissus is uh, a film that uh, is from Powell Pressburger, like the one of the great teams or the greatest team in classic cinema history but not one i'm quite an expert on i I mean i'm a red shoe advocate all the way one of the most gorgeous movies i've seen is the red shoe and yeah i don't even know if i can think of another like prominent directing duo of the time like nothing's coming to mind i I guess uh yeah and in the world of avant-garde cinema mary ellen butte and her husband ten namath made uh some shorts together but that's not they weren't really in the mainstream at the time for sure i think you could maybe yeah closest maybe think of like like expert cinematographers and directors who work together like yeah. citizen kane situations where it's maybe both guys movie in a way um and, and maybe it was only possible because they were british because like i know when the coens were starting out only joel was direct credit on their movies because like that's an academy guild rule or director's right. guild rule i mean yeah so maybe that just wasn't even possible in the u.s and they only had the directing duo over there because it's uk i think it's recently changed right like with the daniels yeah i think it was a thing that wasn't you know they weren't i think that yeah um, no country for old men i think was the cohen's first movie where they both were allowed to have that director credit yeah, that's really fascinating. When there's, uh, I mean, now we know why uh, it's not all uh, Farley and uh, and and Matt pictures. Why they're not both the or why uh, Farley, Farley and Charlie, Charlie. are yeah on all of them because they have to follow the Academy rules. Uh, of course, yeah, they're not a guild endorsed it directing duo yet, so no, they have yeah. to split the credit. Yeah, um, I I think that's uh, interesting sign of those times that uh this like master team was just like so uh, like i i think so highly or like so largely of like their cinematic image it's almost like a lubich thing where i can imagine the the boldness and clarity of images just i've only seen these two movies and um uh, i thought there was a uh a third one about like a shoot uh the the german um u-boat maybe i i don't know if that was them um it's plausible i just seen this two movies <laughs> that would have was maybe one of our other directors there um i don't know okay so yeah black narcissus just coming off that context um a deep movie maybe hard for me to like wrap my mind around totally in just this one sitting i think probably better to be contained in like a cinema and i i'm just really curious of your experience of it I mean, it's it's just such a gorgeous movie. I mean, Powell and Pressburger are, if they're known for anything, they're known for their vibrant visuals. Uh, I, I mean, probably just, I mean, mostly in the red shoes in this one. But uh, yeah, all those matte paintings and Deborah Kerr, you know, she's hang, ringing, the, uh, ringing the bell, standing on the cliff. You know, at some point, somebody's going to have to go over that cliff. It's just, a, I have, I had Wait seen this shot. one before yeah. like three years ago, but it was great to revisit. Yeah. There's a certain like, um, 
whole system of things that are low and high in this movie you look at like what's uh up in like the air of the um of the uh what are they in uh what would you call it the the building they're in is like uh, uh this mountainous himalaya like region and they're yeah stuck up like where the air conditions are like so heavy and almost hard to live in you get like air altitude sickness or something yeah thin air thin air up there uh, but then it's like wet and like different down at the bottom like there's like a cultural like here's heaven and then down on earth we're like looking up and there's almost and like these a nuns are yearning for this more earthly man whose shorts get shorter in every shot <laughs> they do and they, and they <laughs> seem to be like almost reaching down to him from heaven and it's like they're like one impulse that almost brings them out of heaven and and almost throws them over the cliff quite literally but it's uh really such a like an interesting study like in like religious films and symbols um there is a lot there i i wish i knew the film better even after this one showing i think it is prompting me to keep watching it and return to their films yeah so it's really only this and the red shoes you've seen yeah yeah Uh, how about you have you seen much of their uh i've seen six total i think steven is in within our circle is probably the one who's seen the most of their films uh yeah i've seen a matter of life and death uh life and death of colonel blimp i know where i'm going and a canterbury tale but uh none of those come close to red shoes or black narcissus for me no those seem like the two that you you have to see if you have to see any of them for sure um I could see why they're both like nearly perfect visually. I I can't fault them in that aspect at all. Um, that, and and there's there's really just like nothing like them at the time that I right. know of. Yeah, like nobody was using color as well as they were that I that I'm that I'm aware of. And uh, I don't know. We have like some thoughts who have like or, or some friends. We don't have some thoughts. We have some friends who have interesting thoughts on the movie. Uh, like our and as Sakana kind of like goes into like the imperialism and whether it's like a, a good version of like Britain's like grasp on uh like a last stage of India and I think that's all interesting but yeah uh, there's definitely room for criticism and how yeah. it like uh treats and exploits uh Indian well I mean it, it was it was entirely shot in the UK but like mm. it's just attitudes towards uh the Indian people might not be it, the best almost possibly from like 47 like analyzing like the last of like this uh uh, colonialist (laughs) uh, perspective where you're reflecting on the empire that was and that it might not branch out much further and uh, kind of damage done i don't know if you're as like uh, self-critical or analytical as like a modern uk film might be about some of those subjects and Mm -hmm. the way you frame them it might be a little different than you might now um so like uh, I don't know, read Sakana's review if you follow them on Letterboxd, and if you don't do follow them, it's a good follow to do. I I just love the movie. I, there's some movies where I'm just like, I love it, I don't know what to say, I think it's beautiful, and I'm kind of at a loss. <laughs> Not a great trait for podcasting, but sometimes you're just kind of blown away by the visual spectacle and space, like use of Location yeah, I mean the, the film is fairly basic. I mean, it doesn't have a. I mean, the nuns go out to this place to try to establish a missionary or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
they really want to fuck this guy with shorts. Uh, <laughs> and true. one of them gives up on <laughs> one of them succumbs to it. Fight ensues by this bell on the cliff. Yeah, it's not a plot heavy movie. It's just something to soak in and gaze upon. Almost in like their monastic order, you look at like there's like this one year mission statement. So there's like this like really flimsy like uh length of like tenure that like ties them to this thing. So it almost feels like they could almost break out of it because it's all voluntary, I believe. They're they're all coming there for like this year long stint up in the mountains and there's that tension where they could maybe leave that life and what brings them into that life and why someone would decide to be a nun up in the mountains where they might get altitude sickness. And also where um, in higher altitudes, your emotions kind of run a little bit higher and your, your feelings and your desires might run a little deeper than they uh, might uh, down on the ground. So, uh, and yeah, there's just like this wetlands and like, you know, forest below and, uh, just like this pairing with like the airy top of the mountain and heavenly um, religious context up there. I think it's just really fascinating uh, thematic. Yeah, and too. you can sort of connect the futility of them trying to establish this missionary with the futility of the British Empire in its final days, too. There's something there. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I think the Red Shoes would be a really interesting show to do one day. I'm surprised we haven't uh ventured there yet i i i just think that is maybe the most gorgeous movie just visual just like visual lush splendor like on screen that i've seen i i i know i'm like a scorsese acolyte and he always talks it up in the same way so i'm really buying into a narrative here but yeah i, I felt uh, that way too i want to feel like, Marty, like scorsese a, feels. a few of the prints that they screened belong to him i think like uh when I saw the red shoes that was his like he keeps most of his collection at this like george beastman archive up here so that's some, cool whether it's this festival or just a random screening for uh like sometimes they'll just say oh yeah this one's marty's that's a, always a fun thing to happen he has the film foundation website that everyone should really sign up for because they do like very often they'll do screenings online for free and you get to see some from like marty's collection and like restorations that are just online just uh you get on like their mailing list and they'll they'll just ping you every time there's some new restoration it's really neat um yeah what he's done with the film foundation and world cinema project is is just such monumental work like even if like we can erase his films from history and he's still one of the great figures in film just for his work towards uh restoration and archival it's so funny because if you take like the restoration out, you might still say he's the most influential filmmaker <laughs> of all time. And then you, you kind of add that. And I, I think you're kind of left with Scorsese might be the, the filmmaker of certainly of our times and, and the times just before ours. Uh, but I'd say of all time, uh, I'm a big Scorsese head, obviously, but I think it's that respect for cinema and that he spent like his later years just talking about like yeah, there's so much more i have to do and i think a lot of that work is in the restoration of film and kind of understanding who the people before him were and i think that's part of the um kind of the cinema project when we watch so many movies is uh we're doing what you're doing out at the the nitrate picture show right like we're finding context and we're connecting things uh uh, through a history that's that's real and it's physical um and it exists where you exist it's important uh, yeah. most people never get to see a film that exists with them right it's digital information 
Uh, yeah, even or, just like yeah. screenings of contemporary films on 35 meter are rare. Like uh, they're not the places where you can see real film is rapidly dwindling. And I was just thinking like a, uh, you know, there's like a new Nolan movie. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go to our IMAX. You know, one of the few like real IMAXs in the country, even. Mm-hmm. And there's so few ways to see film in an optimal way. And I was thinking, but God damn it, they sold their 70 millimeter projector like right <laughs> after um, oh, no. Interstellar. And I was like, well, you know, it's still not the best it could be. Like there's there's so many barriers in the way for for us to like receive film in a way that it's actually intended. Uh, that we don't often get to do it. I mean, people watch films on their phone. And I'm not judging, but uh, most I have no idea where the nearest venue that's playing 70 millimeter even is. I, I think I've I only seen maybe two movies that I know of that were in 70. That was Dunkirk and uh, 2001 when there was a restoration being toured for its 50th anniversary in 2018. It's just an incredible opportunity, though, whenever you can get to see films in a really unique way. Um, I don't know. I'm really thankful you brought it. And if you go next year, I think maybe we do the same thing. It gives me opportunity to kind of dig through. Uh, if you're up for it, uh, it could be a fun annual feature. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd love to talk about this every time I do it. And uh, as long as I uh, am able to next summer. Yeah, of will, course. If you're, if you're able coming. to attend, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pressure on the site, but I'll probably follow the project anyway. And I had so much fun just tracing over um, the Middletons, especially um my favorite film from the festival yeah everybody go watch the middleton family at the new york world's fair although i I feel like we haven't really addressed the elephant in that room that movie is definitely uh fairly sexist what do you mean uh maybe uh well there's a scene where they're showing off westinghouse uh washing machines and some women's some women loudly exclaim electrical engineers signed my emancipation proclamation and that's uh that's par for the course of that film it's almost everything that could be wrong with the movie, but I, I still gave it a positive rating, which is very rare that I get that opportunity. It, it, it's so ridiculous that it circles around. Like, I, I, I have fun with it. The whole theater have fun with it. I, I love those Middletons. And you know what? Now that every film is an advertisement for a brand, I feel like it really fits into like a modern <laughs> context that that they maybe created back then. So Yeah, don't watch Flamin' Hot or Blackberry. <laughs> no. Watch uh, The Middleton Family. I agree. World's Fair. Yeah, have a lot more fun. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I I feel like we did a good report here on like the Nitrate Picture Show, and I'm sure this is the best podcast about this this festival. So I'm happy with it. Possibly, probably. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Matt. Take care. Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained?
the time.